Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Out. This is another bonus summer episode. Hello, how are you? I hope that whenever you're listening to this, you are having a good day. You might be able to tell it's, I'm quite croaky. It's 7.11 at the moment and I thought I'd come and nip up to my little office and do the chop and tout out before the rest of the house wakes up. So here I am. It was Brighton Pride this weekend. I hope if you went, you had a lovely time. Tom Allen, dear friend of mine, who I'm sure you know, and I went with about 12 of our mates and Laura Checkley, who you might know from, oh, series one or two, good friend of mine. And we had such a blast. And Jen Brister, who's also been on the podcast. We danced and we sang and we had a very nice brunch and we saw a bit of the parade, which was very, very wet and windy. I have so much respect for anyone that was marching. It was pouring and they still kept their spirits up. How brilliant. If you've got to go to a Pride this year, I hope you've had a lovely time. And if you haven't yet, if you've not been to a Pride yet, don't worry. They will be going on forever and there will be an opportunity for you to go to one someday. I am absolutely sure. Right, today I've got another fantastic episode. It's with Louise Young, who, similar to last week's episode, is a newer comic who I think is brilliant. I think she's really interesting and... Like Daniel, she was suggested to me to come onto the podcast as sort of a newer face that people might be interested in. No, not might. I think you will be interested in her. She's got a really interesting story to tell. And I think she's just a lovely person. And and I'm really thrilled that she's come on the pod. But before that, as ever, I've got your emails. So let's share a couple of emails and then we'll get on with the conversation. Oh, that felt very croaky, didn't it? I hope you don't mind. Hey Susie, I must have had my head in a deep ditch for the last few years because your wonderful podcast has only just hit my radar. I'm now catching up on every episode. You and your guest have voiced some experiences, thoughts and feelings that have truly resonated with me. It sounds silly, but sometimes we need to hear something said out loud by someone else to properly realise that we've had the same or a similar feeling. I've had lots of, oh my God, I get that now, that was me, moments. I've just listened to the episode with Tom Allen and much of what he said really hit home. Honestly, I can't thank you and Tom enough for such a brilliant, honest, open and insightful conversation. I cried a lot. So did we, as I, as I remember. My parents could just about cope with having a lesbian daughter, but having a lesbian daughter getting married was a step too far. They said I was being selfish and asked if I'd ever thought about how it made them feel. Apparently, I had to stop making it about me and think about them. The people that were meant to be there for me and love me unconditionally had decided there was no place for me in their world. They broke all contact and that hurt enormously. 
They made a decision based on my sexuality, who I was marrying, which was bad enough in itself, but it made me feel like the rest of what I had to offer as a person didn't quite cut it for them either. It wasn't enough. It took a long time for me to realise I had no control over their thoughts, feelings and actions, but I had full control of mine. It's not always easy and some situations still trigger sadness or anger, but I can truly say that I'm proud of who I am, I feel worthy and I'm living my best life with an amazing wife that I love to bits, fantastic in-laws and best friends. I think that wherever we are on our journey, sometimes all we need is to feel validated, reassured, understood and heard. And for me, and I'm sure many others, your podcast does just that. Also, you're a bloody brilliant host, so eloquent and easy to listen to. So I'm sending you a million thank yous. That's a very nice thing to say. I often don't feel eloquent. (laughs) Um, I make a lot of mistakes and luckily my producer, Emma, edits them out for me because, as you know, I'm really dyslexic. Um, But thank you for saying that. I don't know if you still read messages out. I haven't got that far through yet, but if you do, please can I stay anonymous. Have a marvellous day. Of course you can stay anonymous, and thank you for that beautiful email. Oh, I'm so sorry that you've experienced that with your family, and sadly, I've received lots of emails where people have said similar things, but that's why we have the term chosen family, isn't it? It's why people in our community have always seeked family that may not be blood, but are just as important, and I'm so pleased you have that around you. And I'm so pleased that you like the podcast. Thank you for saying such kind things. Okay, let's have one more. Dear Susie, you mentioned on the podcast that you're after more letters and I've been thinking of writing to you for a while. So I thought I really had no excuse but to write mine. I found out about your podcast only in the last month and since then I've been listening almost every day. I came out as bi just over two months ago after doing the cliched thing of going travelling on my own and exploring my sexuality while I was away. I always had a niggling thoughts about whether I was attracted to women, but like quite a few people on your podcast, I wasn't really sure what these were or what they meant. These thoughts weren't fun thoughts, but ones that were attached to a lot of anxiety and fear about what would happen if they were true. As the women I was attracted to were often celebrities, in my brain I labelled them as girl crushes or obsessions, which felt more like I wanted to be them rather than be with them. Then. In the last four years, I met a couple of girls at parties who I knew I was attracted to. But because everybody knew me as straight, I didn't feel like I could pursue it. I never spoke to any of my friends about it, apart from one that came to me with a similar situation. Then, Board of London and a sales sex life featuring mostly fairly disappointing one-night stands with men, I went travelling on my own for three months. There I met a girl who I clicked with straight away, and I've never felt anything like it. We got together for a one night thing and since then my whole world has opened up. Although it would have been good if I felt like I could have explored this in London, I'm really glad it happened how it did. In the couple of weeks after, I coincidentally met more women who liked other women than I ever had in my life. It was amazing talking to them and sharing my experiences. I don't have any gay female friends, so I'd only met probably two gay women in my life before meeting people who were like me and it was really meaningful. I got home from travelling and an amazing weekend away with the girl I'd met and after that I came out to my friends and family. I was scared about their reaction but thankfully basically all of them have been good. I was most nervous about telling my parents, in particular how my mum would react. My parents have never met a gay woman so their understanding is very limited. And also my mum and I haven't always had the easiest relationship. She was shocked. But after about an hour, 
when conveniently I had to disappear for a job interview, I could tell that she had processed it a bit. And since then, she has been so supportive, taking the new thing I'm having with a girl seriously and helping me think through the options about how to balance my want to be with her and my want to pursue my plan to move abroad. I think one of the things that caused me some problems is I worried that my mum wouldn't approve of me or wouldn't like me if she knew who I really was, aka if she knew that I liked women. And I always felt that her love was conditional on me meeting some of the expectations of who she thought I was. Now I've told her, I feel much more relaxed because she knows the thing I never thought or imagined I would ever be able to tell her or anyone. And she's accepted it. I feel really lucky about this. I did end up moving abroad to the other side of the world and this has given me further freedom and has meant that I can be out from the start. Part of me wonders how it will be going back because I escaped only a week after coming out to everyone, but future me can deal with that. It feels like the biggest, biggest relief. And sometimes I question why I didn't explore it or come out earlier, I'm 29. I think it's because I also liked men and I could kind of get away with not exploring being with a woman. I don't know when I first met a gay woman, but it definitely wasn't until I was around 23. As a result, it simply never felt like an option for me. It never felt like something that was quite accepted, especially for women. If there was ever a gay person mentioned at home, it was always stead with the stamp of being weird. And that was really easy to internalise. Sometimes I feel quite ashamed or embarrassed that I wasn't brave enough to do this for myself earlier. But I'm also happy that I've done it and created space for myself to explore whatever I want. And I've got the rest of my life to be as gay as I like. I know I still have a lot to untangle and to move on from the internalised homophobia, and I'm trying to work on this. Thanks so much for the podcast. I honestly can't tell you how glad I am that it exists. I wish I could have had more examples and stories when I was younger, as I think my life might have been quite different, but I'm so glad I have them now. I feel like I'm just at the beginning of my journey. And a lot of time, I feel like I'm at the beginning of understanding myself. But the podcast has helped me so much and I really don't know where I would be without it. I really want to find a gay female community here to be friends with. But in the meantime, I love that the podcast provides me with a sense of that. I especially love hearing the stories from Brainna C. Titley and Jessica Foster Q, who came out a bit later. Their experiences really chime with mine. Thank you so much for the effort and the time. And if you read this out, please keep it anonymous. Thanks. Wow, you're on the other side of the world and you're listening. Well, thank you so much. And I know I've said this before on the podcast, but there's never a time to come out. It doesn't matter when you do. You've not missed anything. It's just when it's right for you and when those feelings become, I don't know, most obvious or most acceptable to yourself. But you have I don't think you need to feel like you've, you're late to anything. The party's still going. You're, maybe you're fashionably late. That's cool. But thank you for your letter. I really appreciate it. Right, now we're going to get on with today's conversation, who's with the brilliant Louise Young. I feel like I maybe need to put a little warning at the top of this. We talk quite a lot about anxiety. We talk a little bit about substance abuse. We talk quite a lot about mental health struggles. So if that's something that just doesn't feel easy for you today, maybe this isn't the pod for you. But if you do, I think this is a great episode and I'm very, very proud to be sharing it with you. Okay, here we go. Here is Louise Young. 
Oh, I've got another brilliant episode for you today, listener. Louise Young is a brilliant stand-up comedian and writer who I am delighted is joining me today. A rapidly rising star in the comedy world. Intelligent, honest, confessional comedy. And if you know me, you know that's my favourite kind of comedy. She was a finalist in the Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year and her show was nominated for Best Show at the Leicester Comedy Festival. The Times described her as one to watch and she's also been on tour with the likes of Tom Allen, Jason Manford and Alan Carr. Or you might have seen her on Comedy Central, Channel 4 or heard her on Radio 4. She will soon be taking her debut show to the Edinburgh Fringe. And I'm going to share a little bit of the blurb with you right now because I'm really interested to chat to Louise more about it and I thought I'll bring you in on what it's about. Okay, it's called Feral. It's about class, chaos and coming out. Through a number of chaotic life experiences, this show delves into what it means to be an unpalatable type of working class, navigating the edges of poverty, mental illness and how easy it is to fall through the cracks. Whilst vulnerable, it's equally warm and joyful, turning her Geordie lens on lesbian culture and her relationship with her Turkish side. It's an upbeat look at dysfunction, haphazard living and feeling out of place in the arts. I am so excited to chat more about this and I am delighted that Louise is with me today. Hello, Louise. Hello, Susie. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. In true lesbian fashion, I've just realised that one of my four cats is screaming to get in from outside. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Do you want to go and open the door? No. Is that how this podcast is starting? And absolutely not. She's, she's not. I escorted her off the property <laughs> half an hour ago for insolence. Right. Okay. Sure. So she's not coming back in. She has to learn. She's got to. It's the only way to teach them. Yeah. Cats are bullies is what I've learned. Oh, for sure. Yeah, For real. Sure. They're real hard going. <laughs> How are you? I know you just told me that you've got tonsillitis and you're still doing the podcast. God love you. Uh, what a trooper. Uh, what a trooper. What a <laughs> bloody was, trooper. It was off the tube. I think you have to develop a London resilience. When I lived in London, I never got like sick from London things. And, that, and, and now I don't live in London. If I go on the tube... I'd say one out of every three times that I do a tube ride, something happens where I'm like, oh, I've got a cold sore. Oh, I'm ill. Oh, I feel like I've just got the flu. You've got a cold sore? Who are you getting off with on the tube? (laughs) Everybody, you know. (laughs) I just love attention. She's Geordie, it's what she's like. (laughs) You know how warm they are in the north? Yeah, just too friendly. Um, Yeah, but I do. And so it was one of them times I got back and on the drive back, my throat started to like feel nice. really bad and I thought it was because I was trying to reach the high note in titanium so I didn't pay much attention <laughs> <laughs> but then as I started to travel I was like nah this is t- this is tonsillitis so that's exciting are you uh, have you got some meds no I've got my space dust which my friend's given us which is some kind of dried mushrooms uh, in a hot chocolate with I think just inordinate amounts of caffeine. I think that's what it is. I'm going to feel right. awful in about two hours. Yeah. Great. Well, we, this is only about 45 minutes an hour, so you're Brilliant. absolutely tip top. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's an ideal scenario. Um, so you live in Liverpool now? Yes, I do. Yeah. Moved from Newcastle to Liverpool just for my girlfriend. So um, booking stereo types there. So not a long distance relationship. Just moved. <laughs> just moved yeah, to Liverpool. Absolutely. And got engaged last month, Susie, as well. So I know. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, living in Liverpool. It's. A, I mean, it's very similar to Newcastle, really vibe wise. It's like. Okay. Um, yeah. So you grew up in you grew up in Newcastle. You're proper Geordie. Yeah. Well, South Tyneside. Yeah, Jarrow, Jarrow area. So um, 
yeah, grew up there. So we have a lot of international listeners. So for someone that's okay. never been to Tyneside, could you give me like a flavour of what it's like, what the shops are like, what the people are like, what the school was like? <laughs> Do you, I, I, the like, shops. Already laughing. <laughs> the shops. Well, you know what I mean? It's yeah, no street. <laughs> well, yeah, true, true. I, mean, I don't mean There's lots like... of bazaars and. Um... <laughs> You can get your herbs, you can get your local yeah. spices. <laughs> no, there's a big and in a card factory, it's that type of vibe. Um, yeah, great. This is this is this is what people want to know. Okay, sorry, okay. So Can you get five cards for a pound? Of course, yeah. And I noticed when I went to the card factory in Jarrow, there was a there was lo- loads of m- like mam mothers. It was Mother's Day, and there was loads of mothers ones left and no nana ones. And I thought that's because everyone's been brought up by their nana, because the mams are all useless. <laughs> Tyneside, for any international listeners, it's a place in in the UK. It's predominantly working class. Socioeconomically, it was obviously a victim of the industrial downturn. Is that right? I don't know if that's right. No, I think that's probably right. It's very industrial and stuff like that. So obviously very working class and very affected by things not being made anymore. Do you mean like closing of mines or do you mean like closing of factories? Yeah, it would have been affected very by like Thatcherism, like how, you know, parts of Wales would have been Liverpool and stuff like that. but it's sort of got that kind of working class buoyancy about it, like places like Liverpool and Glasgow have got where it's sort of renowned for sort of a big party culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Geordie Shaw, which obviously that runs parallels with Jersey Shaw. So it's that yes. kind of like brashness and um, getting very dressed up just to go for a coffee and yeah. stuff like that. And you're, you've got all of those kind of stereotypes about, yeah, that's very stereotypical. Geordie sort of being a little bit sort of loose in many ways with them. Just a good time. Not here for a long time. We're here for a good time type vibes. Yeah. Um, known for being quite friendly as a people, Geordies. That's why my accent's quite peculiar. And yeah, that's a give us a flavour. I think, yeah, I think Geordies are known as friendly. And I don't I think really it's know very why. warm. Do you think? Well, I think gigging there's one. You see, I I think when you're a stand-up, you have a different relationship to places. Mm, Because to me, it's the stand where I do my shows or I've done like a couple of theatre gigs there. Mm. So I I don't know that I get... You only get a vibe of the people that have paid to come and see you, so it's very different. You're going to get a nice vibe. I think that's just the thing. Whenever you're from a place, your relationship's always different from how everyone sees the place. Of course. Like, however, though, my girlfriend's from Liverpool. She she lo- has a good relationship with Liverpool, but then she's had quite a nice upbringing. She had quite a nice upbringing, so I think it just depends. But I do like Newcastle. It's full of character, which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was you went to school there, presumably? Yeah. Is this where I've got to go? What I was like it's in school. You can if you want. Oh, I was just There's no a- rules. Is there not? There's no rules at all. The rules are there are no rules. Oh, that's brilliant. That's gay culture, isn't it, after all? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Do you know what I was talking to Tom Allen? Because I'm doing his tour supports now. I know. And I said to him, oh, that's just gay culture. And he went, is that what you are all saying now? Because that's what Susie keeps saying. Is that what the gays are saying now? And I was like, no. (laughs) No, I just tell him that things are lesbian culture that that aren't really lesbian culture. Yeah, just I think you, you know, can just say anything. I say like, oh, I say like, oh, look, reading, that's lesbian culture. Mm. But is it? Getting into bed and reading before you go to bed. No, I think lots of straight people do it too. But yeah. I started telling him, I, I just tell, I, I just try and make everything lesbian culture. Yeah, I feel like yeah, if yeah. I'm doing it, it's lesbian culture. <laughs> well, it is. It is. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, because I've listened to a couple of these and I, it really strikes as like, 
how different people's experiences are of coming out but also how exactly the same they are kind of like a hundred percent it doesn't yeah. matter whether you are whether you grew up in a mormon household in the states or yeah whether you're someone that's yeah canada like all the different places australia like all across the uk the different people that i've interviewed tasmania there it's widely different and then they'll be like and then this thing happened at school and i feel like everyone that's listening that's queer goes uh-huh <laughs> yeah too. yeah 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 because i i think what's different though i think i definitely had that thing where, when i compare myself to other people's like coming out thing of where like I knew, I just knew that I felt very different and stuff. And I was a total loner in school. I was just very, very much a loner. And I think as well- Were you funny? Oh, I did, I did, I did, in school, I didn't really go. I was a bad truant. I didn't really go um, to school and I and I, I, would, I would go, I would go, but I remember just not engaging with it whatsoever. I didn't really socialize with people at my school. I, I didn't really live where my school was because I, I cause, so it's, it was quite a tricky time for me. So I ended up living, getting brought up by my nana. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of going to school in a different place to where I was en ended up like living, really. So I had like a different group of friends and stuff, but I was very kind of detached like that. And I think because I was talking to my friend earlier about this because she was like before because she knew me in uni. Right. And I, and I came out, pro I came out in like stages, which I think mm -hmm. a lot of people do. I sort of came out in stages and like when I came out like to her, we had just been through uni together and she was like, I didn't, she was like, I knew you were kind of like bi or whatever, but I didn't think you were like a lesbian. And I said to her, oh, she also went, I'm really offended that you didn't fancy me. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but, but then I was like, but then I think it was like, I was like, honestly, I was like, I was saying to her, like, I didn't know either. And I really didn't. I, I think a lot of people, I think, cause I had a bit of an upbringing where uh, how do I put this? It wasn't always a safe environment for us to be emotionally vulnerable. I think as a teenager, I had a couple of experiences that I had in home life. I was like, it's not the people bringing us up, not before I went to like to live with me now and stuff. The people I'm around here don't necessarily have my best interests at heart. So I was very careful just survival i thought i can't i can't be emotionally my emotions have to get buried mm -hmm. and i remember thinking that like i'll bury you guys and we'll deal with you when it's safe because right now it's just got to batten down the hatches and get through this so i'm kind of glad i had the intelligence to do that really i always think of that as quite a bad thing that that i did but that was just safety i think that was the right thing to do so so that was kind of like the basis of where i was coming from so there was no real there was no real dialogue with myself because when you bury your emotions from others you also bury them from yourself you're not having a dialogue with yourself about anything so i think that was why it took me a bit later to have those conversations with myself and be like oh my god you're gay as the day is long <laughs> mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I think as well, when you're going through something like what you're describing, it's almost like you need quite a lot of time to like think about like having just space to think even before you like emotionally engage in what it means just to like have the space to go am I different and how do I feel about doing different and is that okay that I'm different is there anyone like me but yeah. I think if you as you're saying like in survival mode I don't know that you get any option to do any of that you're just like getting by I think yeah. don't give yourself a hard time over that it's about survival yeah totally yeah I think I've just uh, in my early 30s now I've stopped giving I'm starting to stop giving myself a hard time about what, mm. what now I'm looking at thinking oh god I was a child just having to like deal yeah. with a lot of complex things but it's that thing of like remembering like your first crushes that you would have and stuff like that and and I remember like the, f- the first crush that I had on a lot on a last and stuff and it was just like but but I I had I didn't really gr- grapple with it because I was just I was in in school and I was just like oh yeah well I'm probably by but like everything was so academic because I was never going to approach any I know I just you know I was just so closed off and so that I wouldn't approach anyone so it was just like mm. it didn't I didn't have to grapple with it so I was like oh yeah probably just by or whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and so were your mates outside of school did you have like a network outside the no, school of friends I was a bit of a loner for a while really? yeah I, and, so, and even like getting older and older like I would ju- I would go out out like as a, I did have like mates like, as in like a late like getting later into teenage life I started to come into myself a little bit more but even then when you're coming from that sort of start in life you are just a bit all over the place and just drunk mm-hmm. and stuff so you don't really know what you're doing for a minute or the next and I've always been like yeah I kind of I suppose in that sense just took a little bit later than everybody else to sort of realise who I was because I was definitely arrested in like development I would say so mm. it took us to like my early 20s and then like to start coming out and stuff and telling people and then by the time I was like sort of mid-20s I had fully came out but it was a long process because I I think it was it was less of a when I speak to other people about this it seems like they had this thing that they were hiding whereas with me it felt like I had this thing that I was learning slowly yeah and i think if you've not got the almost like the language or the frame of reference yeah because if you're living quite a chaotic life at the time yeah then how how could you possibly work that out quicker yeah because there's not it's not even about sexuality it was about intimacy i wouldn't even let a single person anywhere into me and do you know what i mean like that's not it's more that was the issue with me i wouldn't let anyone close so i think that was what it was probably more than anything yeah and um, you went off to uni where did you did you stay in newcastle when you went to university no i went to london i went to roehampton did you yeah I southwest i used yeah. to drive through it from portsmouth to get to london yeah oh i wonder what yeah you probably drove past my student. probably yeah probably <laughs> yeah and so when you decided to move to london for uni were you like right I want to go somewhere for a new start. I'm going to make new friends. I'm going to have a break from Newcastle. Was part of it about being somewhere else? Oh, God, yeah, definitely. I definitely was just like, get me the fuck out of... (laughs) (laughs) 
I just thought just get me out. I, I, I definitely just wanted something different. I, I wanted something different. And I knew that London is the most different place yeah. in the UK from everywhere else. So I thought, get me in there, get me. And it was the best thing I did. I met new people. I mean, last night I had a preview in London and one of my mates from uni was there. Like I really have made friends for life in, yeah. in there. And I think that made us like really discover who I was. It was the best thing that I've ever done. Went to uni in London because I just met people just little things when you go like not even realizing like i remember thinking i wonder if anyone notices my accent (laughs) 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 oh bless your heart that's because everyone you knew must have sounded like you exactly and and also like my accent now is quite softened because it's had to be to do comedy everywhere yes it used to be (laughs) awful it used to be absolutely you couldn't understand it so and i used to speak even faster because i was even more anxious (laughs) so yeah and and i didn't really understand what working class was until i went and met people who were not and yeah just just having that start like you say to build frames of reference like Mm. oh this this and this is is just all a big thing of self-discovery but the weirdest thing is when i got back to newcastle i did this weird kind of like i don't know what it was but I just got back like when I was 22 and I sort of went on this journey of self-discovery and I was like a bit of a hippie which I still am a massive hippie and then I got back to Newcastle and for some reason I sort of like like metaphorically like contracted and I was like I'm gonna get my nails done and wear dresses and have my eyelashes done and get a boyfriend <laughs> and I did this like odd thing where I sort of thought I wonder what it's like to just really conform and I tried that for like a year or two I was like I'm just gonna be trying like be a normal yeah. woman lady <laughs> and that said it's quite insane really because that's just not me yeah. yeah yeah and also it's it, it's like what is a normal woman lady? Do you know I what do, I mean? Like yeah. what, what 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 were you trying to? I think I was trying to explore my femininity, maybe a little right, bit. Right, sure. See. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. I was like, could I be one of those ladies? <laughs> <laughs> and how did that go for you, Louise? <laughs> oh, I got section, Susie. <laughs> right, okay. Sure, 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 sure. No, I didn't get sectioned. I escaped from my section, to be to be honest. But um, so you can okay. see about that in my show. Actually, that's ta- a tantalising um, piece of information there. But no, I didn't get that. It was to be funny, but I. Didn't did, but I did suffer like a lot of mental health problems, obviously, because I was constricting who I was so much. Do you think that was linked to being out? Was 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 that like multifaceted to the different ways that you were trying to constrict yourself? Pro- pro- I think at that point, probably. I think because I, I remember at that point, I was starting to have a dialogue with myself, and certainly I remember because we used to go out all the time. I was such a pisshead, and I was like. I remember thinking, oh, you better not get too drunk, Louise, because you might tell them that you're gay. And I was shocked by having that thought. I was like, what the hell? Why would I sell tell? And so my subconscious was like, come along. But I didn't, I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting the memo for so long. And then when I was getting into my early 20s, I was like, Louise, you're going to have to confront this. Were you noticing girls? Yeah, I had crushes on lasses and stuff like that. But I think it was so confusing because I think I, I, and now I'm looking at it where I admired guys I thought I fancied them and where I no where I fancied guys I actually admired them and where I admired lasses I actually fancied them and now it's very clear in hindsight right sure um, but but then I was just like well I was just a mess wasn't I and there was I like to say it was survival there was other things on my plate so it was just sexuality it just kept getting pushed to the back of the queue of things I had to deal with and do you think like I know you've t- talked before like quite publicly on stage about alcohol and drugs I think was that sort of coping mechanism as well was that escapism probably probably all has been I've never to be honest with you the reason that I'm I'm sort of st- struggling to catch 
Well, it's because I've never really confronted it until now here with you. I know, and I was surprised <laughs> that you said to me that you were nervous about this, because I was like, oh, yeah. come on the podcast, because, you know, I'd love to have the opportunity to plug your show. I think you're brilliant, and I think you're interested and you're different, and, like, Tom's, like, said how brilliant you've been on the road. So I was like, oh, um, I should definitely get Louise on, and then you saying, like, oh, I'm a bit nervous about this. I was like, oh, fuck, have I, like... No, 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 no. I don't no, want no, you no. to feel uncomfortable. No, it's good, it's good. Not You should never really treat comedy like therapy. I think that's a road to ruin, but... yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to get get it out. I need to get it out because yeah. it's yeah, because it's um, it's interesting. It just interests me, like from an, like an academic point of view. Like if I step out mm. of myself, it's like it it's starting to get enough time now that it's interesting to look back on and go. At the time, my friend said to us like, "You didn't come out the closet. You exploded out of it." So <laughs> right, your behaviour must have been just off the fucking wall, and um, and I think like the weirdest thing happened so. I was uh, I was with this like last ditch attempt, but because I, I was always very open that I'm bisexual, whatever. But it was like again, I was pushing my feelings down, using substances to numb myself all the time, and it got to this point where I was getting into this point of like reckoning with myself, and I was like, "You're gonna have to confront this. This is just like ridiculous." And I was starting to tell friends like, "I think I'm just bloody gay," you know, like, and I think everything. And it's not just about noticing lasses and stuff and if, like falling for lasses all the time, <laughs> which is an obvious one. But like, it's also just little things like, oh my God, I can do so many keepy uppies. And, like, um, you know, just loads of stuff like that. Like, why do I always dress like this? Why can't I sit on a chair properly? Why? And you, and you go, come on, Louise. It's gay <laughs> culture. Em- it's gay culture. <laughs> the evidence is stacking up. You know, just all of that stuff and... And the weirdest thing happened. This is how I thought I have to come out, right? So that last ditch attempt to be straight, right? I remember being on antidepressants for about two years, which those those ever uh, stop your sex drive and stuff anyway, don't antidepressants. Yeah. And then I was also on the pill, one of the contraceptive pills. And I was also just not like, I was taking things I shouldn't be taking and numbing myself, just really self-medicating. That's a lot of chemicals in your body yeah and I kind of had this moment of realisation and I just thought I'm going to have to sort myself out here so I remember cutting down on everything and overnight which you're not meant to do stopping antidepressants and coming off the pill because I remember thinking I don't know what, what made us do it but I thought I need to clear my head here and I think like I must have had this rush of hormones or like rush of clarity where it's like my brain was like, oh my God, got rid of all of these chemicals and went, you are gay. <laughs> and like, I think like, um, I don't know. Do you know when people get like a, a scan and they get like their body gets flooded with dye to show things up? Yes. It was like that happened in my brain. I mean, I think I'm trying to make sound fancier here. The fact that my sex drive just came back and I was like, I want to have sex with women all the time. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I like the die analogy. I like that. Thank Keep you. that in. I like it. Yeah, but it was like that. And it sort of just made everything really clear. And I thought, all right, I'm going to have to come out. And I think within a month later, I just came out and I was like, the jig is up. And that was it, really. It's a very messy coming out story, mine. It's just, it seems very messy compared to everybody else's. But I think that's common for lots of people. I think is quite it? often, like, obviously this podcast is about coming out, but it's also about like like celebrating queer stories it's about the fact that you know everyone that I talk to has overcome you know something in order to be a more authentic version of themselves which I think should be celebrated and it isn't always easy and I think quite often even the roots that look very straightforward there is sort of chaos in them Mm. sometimes it's just like you know like when you watch when you see a swan and you just know their legs are going crazy underneath Mm. but they're keeping it all together Mm -hmm. I think that people will relate more than you 
know people that, more than you think yeah the idea of like trying to dim trying to dim that that thing that is innately you that is is your queerness i mean i did it in a different way i wasn't doing loads of drugs and going wild i was obsessed with musical theater and becoming an actor <laughs> And I became obsessed with actors and like I, it was a very sort of strange holding of like, I want this thing and when I grow up, I'm gonna be an actress and an actress can't be gay. And so because of that, I'm gonna do this, that and the other and I'm not gonna notice girls and I'm only gonna have boys on the wall. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. have DiCaprio all over my room because the more I see him, the more I'll have to fall in love with him. But then I would just occasionally keep in pictures of Kate Winslet and then be like, oh my God, look at Kate. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, not funny, obviously, but yes. But I think that that restricting of yourself yeah. in being like, I am going to stop the blood supply mm. <laughs> to the gay bit. Yes. By any means necessary. Yeah, and I'm downplaying not knowing really. I must have known because I remember being on a bus, a double-decker bus when I was about eight or seven or eight, and I seen this woman walking off the bus and I was eight and I remember looking at her going she's absolutely beautiful and I remember thinking oh my god you cannot think that and you can't tell anyone that you've just thought that so I remember that really vividly so obviously yeah really early on and I remember having this diary that was hidden I had hidden like under my bed or whatever and I remember thinking I just remember about eight or nine just thinking you are a lesbian <laughs> but you had the words like you knew that gay people existed were they queer people like were there out people in the area that you lived in? There was lesbians at the bottom of the garden. No, not the bottom of the garden. <laughs> <laughs> what, in a tent? <laughs> On the back garden adjacent. So you knew that it was a thing? But they weren't very aspirational. I think, sure. like, yeah, I think they were just like these angry women who used to tell us to get off the fence because I'd lost right, my okay. football. They should have known that I was one of them. But yeah, they should have invited you in. <laughs> like, come on, babe, we know the drill. We know the tea. But I think, um, no, I think was the gay people around. Oh, God, no, there wasn't really. I can't remember anyone. Because that's the thing. Yeah, there was no one really gay. There's no one gay that I could relate to. But I think that's the thing. I think that if there's no one that you see that you go, oh. I'd just be like her, yeah. You're like me. I, I yeah. feel less alone now. Yeah, totally. But if you don't have that, it's so hard. I used to, I think as well, because I've internalised really early on, like, that's wrong, don't be like that. I couldn't even write down. I always wrote everything in my diary and I remember thinking, oh, you, you are a lesbian. But I thought, don't, don't write that. You cannot write that. Don't write that. Mm. and so I've internalised it super early that it's bad to be gay so when I'd see women who were gay I'd be like oh not not outwardly but mm. in my brain I'd be yeah. and it took a long time to unpick that even you just internalise this shit like my girlfriend the other day she put this outfit on she went I look too gay and I was like no no that's because we've internalised totally and because for a long time I think certainly for gay women it was like butch is bad which yeah. obviously isn't true yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know butch is cool butch is hot but mm -hmm. and it's the same I've spoken to loads of gay guys on the podcast where they go oh I just didn't want to be too camp I didn't yeah. want to be that kind of gay man. And I think that's the, the, the equivalent for us is that like, oh God, I don't want someone to be able to read from a hundred feet away that I'm a lesbian. Yeah, still have that now. Like, still have that now sometimes. I don't know if you can tell if I... Can you tell if I'm gay? Well, I could. You could. You will. You will. <laughs> you would. <laughs> I could tell from the moment you walked into the green room. I was the like, minute I stopped in. <laughs> <laughs> Swearing about the traffic. Yeah. Yeah. You see, I don't know how gay I am. I don't know how gay I am. But I think we're living in a world now where like lots of people look lots different ways and it doesn't matter how you dress. I don't think that needs to be yeah. important. But I think that it's certainly something that 
lots of us have carried. Yeah, totally. Because I've not always had a difficult relationship with my femininity. Always. I was very sporty as a kid. Just mm. wanted to play football, do martial arts. And still that way. And I'll be honest with you. And I've just always been like competitive and like... It just didn't, well, I just not asked about being feminine. And then, and then when I started to go out and put heels on, I felt powerful. Like that, the only mm. time I've ever harnessed femininity is it makes me feel powerful, I think. So that's the only so there time. Was, so that period where you were like clubbing and you were out, out. Mm. Well, you were like going out, nails, like proper Georgia yeah. girls. But I felt powerful. I didn't feel feminine. Mm. So I think that was maybe. I what think that Georgie was. women are powerful. Yeah, there is a power there. There's that sort of working class. Yeah, it's a, there's like an honesty to it. Yeah, definitely. Like, don't fuck with me. Yeah, that's probably what what I zeroed in on more than being like, oh, look at my heels and stuff. But like, I remember sort of. Oh, this is such a weird core memory. I must have been like four. I must have been three, even a three. I was a tiny, right? This is so weird and it's hard to explain. But uh, my mum had like, I remember this cassette being on the floor of the Eurythmics and it had like, mm -hmm. it was early 90s, it had like, Annie Lennox on it. Yep. Um, obviously looking very androgynous. And I just remember being sat on this ride at the fair and I was about three or four and there was a little girl next, well, I was also a little girl. And there was another lass next to us and she was really like, little with like blonde hair and just looked very feminine and I remember looking to the side of her and I, and I remember just thinking oh I feel like Annie Lennox <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know the words Annie or Lennox I just <laughs> you just thought I feel like her I feel like that woman on that cassette <laughs> yeah. with, the, with the orange skinhead yeah I just remember thinking I'm like that on her I'm not like this girl, girly girl. I'm like that on that cassette. And I thought that at about the age of three or four, yeah. And so was there a point when you thought, obviously you, you came back and like your friends said to you that you exploded out of the closet. <laughs> was that like a moment then where you were like, right, I'm going to dress what I want. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to, you know, be as I am. I'm not going to try and fit into this. For a lot of gay women that I've spoken to and for a lot of friends that I've had like colloquial chats with, I think a lot of us... And I don't know whether you feel the same, but like until I was about 13, 14, I felt very at home in my body. And then I got arguably very small boobs, but still boobs nevertheless. Mm. And my body changed like that. I was like, huh? Oh, I guess I've got to do that now. Mm. And, then it, and then it was not until I was in my 20s, I was like, oh, I don't have to do that. Yes. I can just wear this. Yes. I had that total journey. Yeah. Very uncomfortable with my body as like a mm. teenager. Now I went the opposite. I walk around the house like Tarzan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was such a nudist, but I, yeah, I really was like, yeah, I was super uncomfortable with myself. Just uncomfortable because you, I don't know what it must be. I don't know what it must be. It must be this harnessing of femininity that makes sense in a heteronormative world. And when when you're not part of that world, you don't know what you, what am I buying into? Because what, I, like, you, you don't understand where, what, where you fit into it all because you're not part of that structure the same way. That's mm. so why I think there must be like a lot of lesbian comedians because it's a, it's a quite a masculine thing to do, and if that's the right thing to say, but it's well, it's male dominated and stuff. I think that it's unsurprising there's so many gay women, mm. just because I think that it's when I started. Though there weren't loads of gay women necessarily, there were people like Zoe Lyons and Jen Brister that I really looked up to. Mm -hmm. That I was like, oh my god, they're like so themselves. But I think there's there's certainly like a power thing to it. Which I think yeah. is, you know, similar to what you were saying before about having the control of the laugh. Yeah. I think that's like a massive part of it. Like 
when you look at sort of how gay women have been spoken about historically, it's like, you're not going to laugh at me. I'm going to decide what you laugh at. Yeah, totally. And it's easy because you don't need to make yourself smaller for men. Mm-hmm. Like yes, you don't have to yes. do that charade that straight women have to sometimes take part in. Like my yes. friend who um, she does comedy, she's she's straight and she was like she'll be on Tinder and saying like to guys, oh like I do comedy and then they just un un or whatever you do on Tinder uns unswipe right. or whatever. Whereas with, with women, I think it, like my girlfriend, she who meet fiance bonjour. I feel so French when I say that. <laughs> she. <laughs> She got with us because she was like, oh my God, it's so cool. And like messages after a show. And, and, and so it's different, isn't it? And because yes. you're already not playing by sort of gender norms or societal norms or heteronormative things. It's easier for you to slip into roles yeah. that are not traditionally what a woman should be doing. And do you think that like within sort of working class culture and like working class history and your history specifically, were gender roles quite defined? In where? In working class? Yeah, like, is that something that you were like, this is a man's job and this is a woman's job as you were growing up? Mm. I don't know. I've always been very, I'm going to fucking play football because that's what boys do and I'm going to do what I want. I've had that attitude all the time. Yeah. yeah. But people around you, was that okay? Mm, No, I think it was, there was disdain. There was definite disdain. That's what lads do. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was, there were, I think, I think, I don't know if you found this, but you, you think, oh, it was, it was largely accepting. But then when you start to pick apart, well, no, it wasn't like that mm. was met with a negative thing that was met with a negative thing. Like, and you think, no, it wasn't that accepting. It's just social conditioning, but it yeah. was, yeah, things were, you shouldn't be doing, doing the things that you're interested in. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting in your, cause obviously I've not seen your show yet, but I was really interested in when I read through all the stuff that Amanda RPR sent me through today mm. about being an unpalatable type of working class. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk to you about that. Just just to ask sort of like what you mean by that and whether you think that's something that still exists within comedy. Yeah, definitely. I think that you have to be palatable because you don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable about like the disparity in poverty and stuff like that. Yeah, right. And if you're facing like an upper class audience or an upper middle class audience, if you really drilled into them like how shit things are when you've got absolutely nothing, it's about to make people feel uncomfortable. It would make me feel uncomfortable if I was like, oh, well, I was, I've always been good for money or whatever. So you have to kind of be like, ooh, why I? I love Greg's. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Why I love Greg's. I can't believe you didn't call your show that. Yeah, that's the next one. I'm just going to really lean into all of those things. But I think that they just want, people want what's familiar. I don't think they want you to kind of be like, oh, I'm a Geordie and I don't wear a coat and not go, yeah. actually, I'm a Geordie. And there's been a hell of a lot of uh, generational trauma passed on to us because, like, as I say, I was brought up by my nana. And my nana was like, from a time where it was real poverty, like real poverty, like poverty that we, I've got no idea about. Like it was an Ellen Wilkinson's book, this uh, politician, she was, oh, she was brilliant. She led like the Jarrah marches and stuff. And she wrote a whole book about like South Tyneside and like it was called The Town That Was Murdered. And she described those places in like Hebben and uh, Bill Case yeah. as slums. She was like, these are slums. And like, I think my nana grew up in a two bed, two room house even with like eight of them and it was just real poverty so even me nana who brought us up she's no longer with her but she brought us up and she like 
she was amazing and very ahead of her, really ahead of her time, really emotionally intelligent, but at the same time was not from a time, she was such an amazing force in my life, but she wasn't from an environment that encouraged emotional conversations mm -hmm. and nuance, again, for survival reasons. So I think that all has a big effect, it has a big effect on you. And, but yeah, so I think there is this unpalatable working class. And so have you been thinking about that when you've, because you've been doing stand-up for a few years now, obviously like taking COVID out of it because no one was doing comedy for a bit mm. then. But was that something like, obviously the, the the version of yourself on stage, as close as you can be to your real self is the best, Is it, it for me is the best I can be when I'm really myself on stage is when I'm at my funniest. But have you, did you have to think about how to put together that stage persona when you're talking about your genuine experiences to make it feel comfortable? Maybe, maybe. I think I went from doing obviously very northern gigs mm. to suddenly I was doing a gig in Farnham <laughs> and I had to do like... <laughs> Farnham, the most barbercoats per audience member, I'd say. Yeah. It's quite a rah-rah audience. Yeah. Very nice, but quite rah-rah. They are nice. They are nice, actually. But that was the first... One of the first gigs I think I did for Off The Curb and I, and I remember just thinking, oh, right, okay. So I sort of like almost whispered <laughs> the set to right. them. It's like, I'm not going to rob you. <laughs> Hi, guys. I think <laughs> also as well, just sort of make yourself into a bit of a cartoon character also kind of works. Yeah, right. And self-awareness. I think self-awareness always just like, it always takes the sting out. People always relax. And I think I've yeah. heard you say this actually about like, when you're on stage, you, you felt like you had to make a joke about being gay because their audience are thinking, does she know what she's like? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I have to let them know really early on that I yeah. knew that I was gay otherwise everyone would be thinking does she know does she know she's gay <laughs> and I have the same thing with the Geordie working class thing as soon as I make a joke about being quite working class they, I can feel the oh she knows that she's a bit like that <laughs> yeah. oh, she knows that she's got that accent whereas yeah. when you moved to London of course didn't, you didn't know you had that accent I didn't I, I remember thinking oh, will anyone notice but, yeah. <laughs> that's so Adorable. <laughs> Thank you. Like, it's so cute that, that <laughs> Tiny Louise thought that. Yeah. Jesus. How about getting into stand-up then? Because mm. that feels like a real leap to go from, like, your sort of wild years and, mm. you know, not being at home with who you are to then being someone who is, I would say, very at home on stage and very confident in your identity on stage. Yeah, definitely. I have got a lot more confident. I feel a lot more confident, but I think I, I think I know how I wanted to get into stand up. I, I saw Sarah Silverman perform a set. <laughs> I loved. I was really into Courtney Love because she was quite wild, so I looked up to her. And she was do on the she was really out of control on the roast of Pamela Anderson, bless her heart. Right, okay. And then I saw Sarah Silverman. It's so long. Was watching all this on YouTube. Do a set. Then I saw Sarah Silverman on another thing, and then I started watching loads of Sarah Silverman, and I was like, yeah. "This is so funny. This is so funny." And I and I just just learned how like you can use language to be really irreverent and. Yeah. I just remember coming into college and saying to my friends, like, ah, you've got to watch Sarah Silverman. I was, and I remember thinking, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Because I think I was funny in college. I got myself, to, I knew myself then. And and I was like, I'm going to do that. But I remember thinking, I'll do it when I'm 24. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. 
Sure. I just think I knew I, intrinsically I had some growing to do. So I was like, I'll do that when I'm 24. And I think I did 20, 25, 26. 26 is when I, 2016 was when I started to do open mics and stuff. So, but there was some overlap between being wild and going on stage. Because I remember I was so nervous before my first gig that I took... I took these Valiums that I yawned between the setup and the punchline. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Han. I know. I'm not condoning that. You don't have to take that to get on stage. No, 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 no. So I think one thing that did whip us into shape was comedy because I had to just be on the ball and be up in the morning to drive to yeah. Portsmouth and stuff like that. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. It was a big thing, like, just saying about like, how my girlfriend's... Me, Fiance Bonjour. Um, she's seen us on. <laughs> she's seen us on a stage, and then messaged us, and then we started talking, and then like we just started talking about like we've got so much in common. We love horror films and stuff like that, and and she was just saying like, just uh, I feel like I'm like. I don't want like not being modest, but she was just finding it so attractive that I was on stage and being so powerful, yes. and because it was yes. a big gig, it was a tour support gig, so it was quite big, and and I think that's really like, what's the word like validating? Because you spend your life yeah. like crushing yourself down, and then it's like actually, the ways that being gay, it lets you be a powerful woman in an unbridled way, where that maybe you don't feel as comfortable to do that if you're a straight woman perhaps sometimes so it's a bit like vin- as you get older you get these moments of vindication where you're like oh it's all coming together like yeah actually, yeah and you can be you can be powerful and you can do things that aren't traditionally like and who you're trying to attract will like that and just to yeah. circle back to what we're saying like in school when you don't know whether it'd be feminine or not because i suppose why bother because you're not trying to attract lads so yeah. that's probably why your body's going don't bother to put that dress on <laughs> yeah that's not the one for you <laughs> yeah but i think as well like not just talking about like attracting someone like a partner but i think it's about attracting like your audience like as a stand-up you mm-hmm. know we're always talking you know when we're not podcasting you talk about trying to find your audience trying to find your people that you connect with and obviously you've just been on the road with tom and alan two people that i've toured a lot with and you know their audience they know exactly who they are. They love mm. those, you know, they're brilliant. And that's the thing. It's about finding people that want to know what you have to say on something. And you can only really do that, I think, by being yourself on stage. Yeah, I think I'm getting the hang of that. Because I, I had a gig the other, yeah, last week, 19-man stag party on the front row. And probably oh God, the most horrible perfect. gig I think I've ever done, right? And then I came out with it going fuck I was like I should learn I should learn better how to deal with that and then I thought what the fuck why am I no I don't need that's not a priority Louise to learn how to deal with that with, like, with, with that thing that's going to happen once every year. five years like oh, exactly yeah, yeah exactly so I just thought why no Louise don't focus on that because they're not your audience like focus and that's fine yeah 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 Thank and also, God. would you want them to be your audience? No, I'd throw myself off a bridge. <laughs> so, so, sorry, I shouldn't say things like that. But no, I'd, I really, yeah, it was just, and, and, and it is that just like cultivating that audience and you, you're completely right. You're not going to do that unless you're being authentic or trying to second guess too much is just never going to get you anywhere. Yes. <laughs> this has been great. I'm so excited for you going up to the fringe. I think you're going to have a brilliant month. I hope so. <laughs> you will. You will. I feel like I haven't been very funny on here, Susie. Well, it's not meant to be funny. Is it not? There's enough funny podcasts. Okay. This is just a conversation between two people who both happen to be queer talking about their lives. Right. And okay. you have been perfect. Right. Oh, thank you. 
you have been perfect um, I asked one final question that I ask everyone that comes on the show and I am thinking about maybe the version of Louise that wasn't in a place where you could be emotionally vulnerable enough to really get a handle on who you were mm-hmm. and I'm thinking maybe if there's someone that's listening to that right now who is in that situation who maybe they're you know going through a lot of stuff with their family or they they're just not in a space where they can feel safe enough to even consider coming out if you could give them a little bit of encouragement throw an arm around them through the sphere of podcasting what would you say Hmm, i would say that it's very because i beat myself up for a long time for not being more open or being so closed down but i think just be so patient with yourself because actually that's wise in some circumstances it's so wise to guard yourself and bide your time because the way society is set up you you just have to live in a house with some people <laughs> that sometimes aren't the best people for you and the law states you just kind of have to sit sit there so just sit it out if it's safe just sit it out and just know that oh my god like oh, the world is just going to open up for you. All the things that are working against you will suddenly start working for you. It will fall into place. Just patience. And even if you're struggling to have a dialogue with yourself, which often happens when you have to sort of guard your emotions and bury them, just try and know that you're going to thank yourself so much if you just keep an intrinsic sense of self-worth. Don't question it. Just trust that you are worth something and that... That if you've, you know, it, no matter how chaotic it gets, you, you, you're worth something, so protect that. And then when the time comes, explode out the closet and give them hell. <laughs> perfect. The perfect way to end the podcast. Louise, thank you so much. And <laughs> thank you. I'll, I'll have all Louise's details for her Edinburgh run on the show notes, and I'll let you know them at the end of the podcast as well. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That was the brilliant Louise Young. Thank you so much to her for, for coming on the pod and thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, you always can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. There's now going to be a summer break. I'm having a little holiday. We're having our first family holiday, which I'm very excited for. And I've got some other, other work on, which hopefully in the next six months I'm going to be able to tell you about. And I'm on tour. I'm on tour. If you want to come and see me, please do. There's always people at my shows that have never been to comedy before and they always have such a blast. So... If you want to come along, please, please do. All the information is at susieruffle.com. I will be back in September. I've already recorded a couple of the of the podcasts. And let me tell you, we've got some good ones coming up. I can't wait to share them. And I'll speak to you then. Just a little reminder, I have two other podcasts. I've got Like-Minded Friends with the wonderful Tom Allen. And for the next couple of weeks, I have got Big Kick Energy with Maisie Adam. If you are enjoying the Women's World Cup, please come over and listen to Big Kick Energy. We are talking about the Lionesses and talking about all the excitement which is happening in Australia and New Zealand at the Women's World Cup. Please come along and have a listen. Okay, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.